Welcome to the First Apostolic Church Podcast. Our church mission is to love as God loves, showing compassion to every soul, thus winning those souls and equipping them to be sent out to plant and to harvest. Thank you for joining us today, and we hope that you are blessed by today's podcast. Also going to have a passage from the Old Testament, Jeremiah chapter number 7. Philippians chapter number four, Jeremiah chapter number, chapter number seven. Hallelujah. Good to have Roxanna and Dixie with us tonight. Amen. Glad that Dixie isn't still in the hospital and staring at white walls and things of that nature. It's nothing more depressing being in the hospital and you got nothing but white walls to look at. <clears throat> Amen. Glad that she's not in there anymore. Philippians chapter number four, and I'm going to read verse number six. I understand I got a lot of time tonight concerning the kids because they don't have school tomorrow. And uh, so the adults say that might be so, but we're not all for President's Day. Philippians chapter number four and verse number six. Be careful for nothing. But in everything by prayer, by say by prayer, prayer. and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God. In everything by prayer. Jeremiah chapter number seven and verse number 16. The Lord is speaking to the prophet Jeremiah and he tells him this. Therefore, pray not. Thou for this people, neither lift up cry nor prayer for them, neither make intercession to me, for I will not hear thee. Quite peculiar here from the same word that Paul and Philippians would say in everything by prayer. And God would tell Jeremiah, don't pray. With the help of the Holy Ghost tonight, last week I talked to you about power with purpose. Tonight I want to talk to you about power in prayer. And let the Lord help us with this little tension here in the scripture. Amen. Father, we come to you tonight. God, I'm grateful, Lord Jesus, yet again. God, for allowed to walk into this place, lift up hands of worship and adoration to the King of glory. I pray, oh Lord, touch every heart and every mind, Lord, here this evening. God, I pray, oh, Lord, tonight that you're able, Lord Jesus, to stir up, God, the gift within us, Lord, by the putting on of your hands. I pray, oh, God, bring all things to our minds' remembrance, I pray tonight. God, let your word speak to us, Lord, directly, indirectly, Lord, however you would choose, Lord, to approach us. God, with these scriptures, God, Lord, we want to be vessels, Lord, willing and ready to receive, God, what the Spirit is saying tonight, Lord, to the church, to us collectively, individually, in the name of Jesus Christ that I pray, amen and amen to the church. Say amen. 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 You may be seated tonight in the lovely name of the Lord. I'll speak for myself here this evening. I can speak for myself better than I can speak for anybody else. But I can tell you without any doubts tonight that I grew up in a family that prayed for everything. And that prayed about everything. I seldom recall 
going to the actual doctor as a kid. But I remember many prayers prayed over my sick body. I received more prayer as a kid than I ever did medication growing up. My parents would pray over us kids when we were sick. And oftentimes it wouldn't be long in that same day that Grandma and Grandpa McGee might drop by and they'd pray for me too. A little later in the day, Grandma and Grandpa Weisenberger dropped by and guess what? They came by just to pray because somebody was sick in the house. We prayed for food when there was a lack of groceries. We prayed about finances. We prayed about broken down vehicles. We prayed for our injured dog. Grandma McGee at a drop of a hat would pray for uh, appliances that were not functioning correctly. Grandpa Weisenberger prayed about needing coal for the coal-burning stove, and lo and behold, someone delivered a pile in his backyard and seemingly miraculous, don't even know really who or what ever did it. We just prayed. Whatever the dilemma, whatever the need may have been, the answer was always the same. Pray about it. I was taught to pray about relationships, to pray about decisions, to pray about possible employment options, to pray about purchases, to pray for my enemies. Prayer was exemplified in my home as a child. I didn't just know that prayer was important because my church said it was important or because my parents said it was important. I knew prayer was important because my dad got up extra early before work and I was often awakened by the prayers he was praying before he ever headed out the house. Mom made a prayer a part of her day and many times again I overheard her praying so I knew that prayer was important. Prayer was essential. Prayer was necessary and yet Paul speaks to the Philippian church and says in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving we made our requests known unto God. Or as the living Bible says it, pray about everything. And so that's how we would order our lives. We just prayed about everything. There are many different phrases and descriptions used in the Bible that indicate the act of praying. Amen. Or describe praying. Some of the different phrases that also means, if you will, simply to pray is bowing the knees or lifting or looking up or lifting up your soul or your heart to God or pouring out your soul or your heart to God. There's other phrases in Scripture like calling upon the name of the Lord that equates to prayer in Scripture. Whenever people were spoken of as crying to God or drawing near to God, what they were doing was praying to God. To cry out to heaven is to pray to beseech the Lord or seek God is to pray seeking the face of the Lord and making supplications before the throne room all mean in essence the very same thing it's talking about prayer some have endorsed in this in this world and even in churches sometimes that a person hasn't prayed unless they have knelt down to pray but people have prayed in all different types of postures throughout the scriptures you will find some bowing others that are kneeling others that are on their face before the Lord and yet others that stood praying one prophet the Bible speaks of had his head between his knees and he was praying amen that's for all those flexible people out there 
Hallelujah. Had his head between his legs and he was praying. Pentecost that was pre prefaced or, or before it ever came that was inaugurated, if you will, by 120 people that were praying in the upper room for seven to ten days there. The Bible says, and yet there was a sound of from heaven as a rushing mighty wind. And it is said to have filled all the house where they were sitting so evidently their posture of their prayer in that time had been they sat while they prayed yet it was no less effective regardless of what their posture may have been there's nothing wrong with long prayers amen it wouldn't hurt any of us to go a little bit longer in our prayers there's nothing wrong with long prayers but it was the long repentance repetitious prayers of the Pharisees that were given for a show and given for the attention of men that Christ warned against and yet it is also just a simple prayer a prayer of Peter as he was sinking in the water that he had been standing upon that he cried out to God in a simple three word prayer Lord save me and it provoked the outstretched arm of God to snatch him up out of the water and and he and the Lord walked both upon a tumultuous sea back to the ship and got in. Long or short, it doesn't matter. Just thank God that someone prayed. The emphasis of prayer in the scripture is not tied to its length. The emphasis of prayer in scripture is not tied to your posture. The emphasis of prayer in scripture is simply this. The act of praying itself. For that reason, Jesus took his disciples aside when they asked him, teach us to pray. He taught his disciples how to pray and he led with this. He said, when, everybody say when. He said, when you pray, say our Father. What are you saying, Lord? The essence of prayer is this. More than what is said or how it is said or when it is said is the simple fact that it'll be said, that it's just gonna be prayed. Someone say Amen. Throughout the Bible, prayer has been a described as being done daily in the morning for all the morning people. There's not too many of them, I suppose. In the morning for all the morning people, it's been described at being at morning and at night. In the Psalms, David said that in the morning at noon and at night that he would call upon the name of the Lord. The Bible describes Jesus in one place of Scripture that all night he prayed for the night out. Oh, now I'm hearing some other people out there. Amen. Hallelujah. There's other places that talk about praying without ceasing. What are you saying? Listen, prayer doesn't have to be a morning thing. It can be a night thing if you're a night person. It doesn't have to be a night thing if you're a morning person. Do it at noon if you can't get anywhere else. But the thought of the matter is this. We need to be consistent daily. Amen. Pursuers, if you will, a prayer. Pray without ceasing for those that have just a daily dialogue in their head running with God. Pray. Paul admonished the church at Rome about being fervent in the spirit, about serving the Lord, about rejoicing in hope and being patient in tribulation, being given to hospitality. But among all these things that he admonished them, he also said that they should be continuing instant in prayer. 
Paul supported the idea, amen, of praying without ceasing. He backed the idea of praying for others. In Romans 1.9, the Bible says Paul ceased not to pray for the church at Rome. In Ephesians 1.16, Paul makes mention of them, those, the church of Ephesus in his prayers. In Colossians 1.9, Paul ceases not to pray, the Bible says, for those at Colossae. In 1 Thessalonians 3.10, Paul prays for those of Thessalonica just so that he might see their face. In 2 Timothy 1.3, the Bible says without ceasing that Paul prayed for Timothy night and day. So Paul underscored. He, he put his thumbprint, if you will, of approval upon praying without ceasing and praying for other people. Paul as sternly believed in prayer for other people just as much as Samuel of old did. Amen. For other people and even nations of people. Samuel said in 1 Samuel 12 and verse 23, Moreover, as for me, God forbid that I should sin against the Lord in ceasing to pray for you, but I will teach you the good and the right way. In other words, Samuel says, I know this nation of Israel has her ups and downs, her good times and her bad times, but it would just be a sin if I would to stop or cease praying for the nation or if I would stop and cease praying for other people. Israel in this moment of time of Samuel has just chosen a natural human king to serve over them when God had been their king. And so they chose a a human king in an essence rejected God as their king. That was considered in the mind of Samuel and others of that day. That was considered wickedness. It was improper for Israel to choose a man, amen, over the divine God that had been their king. It was, if you will, improper thinking on Israel's part. But Samuel said with that as a background that I'm still going to continue to pray for you nonetheless. Someone say amen. But with all of this as the background tonight, I want to turn your attention to the Old Testament passage where God told Jeremiah to not pray for Israel. And Judah. So on one hand, let's get this straight. So on one hand, we have an apostle telling us to pray about everything. And then on another hand, we have a time when God told a man not to pray. So we have Jesus, he tells his disciples, when you pray, as though he expected it, and they had a pattern of it, but God tells a man not to pray clearly because he knew he would if he didn't say anything. God was resolute about Jeremiah not praying. If you read Jeremiah chapter number 7, he was resolute about Jeremiah not praying for these people. He basically told Jeremiah, I don't want you praying for them or doing anything. In other words, I don't want you crying. I don't want you moaning. I don't want you to be doing anything that may be regarded as prayer. 
for this nation or for these people. He went to the degree to tell him, I don't want you making any type of intercession for these people to me. I don't want you to do that. And yet this is within the same Bible that tells us in the book of Timothy that first of all, that supplications, prayers, and intercessions among all that it is made for, it should be made for all men. And yet God is saying, don't pray for this nation. All y'all thinking I'm blaspheming up here, don't you? I'm reading the Bible to you. And if it wasn't satisfactory for God to say it once, at least a couple more times in the book of Jeremiah, God urged him that he wouldn't pray. Jeremiah 11 and verse 14, God says to Jeremiah, Therefore, pray thou not, pray not thou for this people. Neither lift up a cry or pray for them. I will not hear them in the time that they cry unto me for their trouble. In Jeremiah 14, 11, it was 11, 14, now it's 14, 11. He says, then said the Lord unto me, Jeremiah says, pray not for this people, for their good. What is going on here? I mean, is God being mean? Is everybody all right? Is God contradicting his own desires? Other scriptural basis that he has other places that he commands and commands and wants people to pray. Now he tells a man not to pray. Is, is God out of his mind? Is, is God on a rampage here? Is God having a bad day? I mean, how do we reconcile in everything by prayer with pray not for them? Jeremiah is living during a hard hour. Jeremiah is living during a hard day. It's a difficult time to be a prophet to the nations that don't heed your warnings, that don't heed your preaching, that don't heed your teaching, that see that your words that you say come from God to them is just laughable. He's living in some hard times. Even the Lord told Jeremiah how complicated his ministry would be even before he started his ministry. He told Jeremiah that he would preach in an hour and he would speak in a day to a people that would not pay him any attention. They would be hearing him, but they would not follow through and obey what the word of the Lord was saying to them. And yet God told Jeremiah, that's where you must stay and that is where you must preach anyhow. Jeremiah is labeled the weeping prophet. By many, he's labeled the weeping prophet because he mourned more for the condition of the people he ministered to then they mourned for their own condition. He was the weeping, the crying prophet. His words, he would speak out of his mouth and he felt like in modern day terminology they were stacking up right in front of him in front of the pulpit. It was a difficult time. The happenings of Jeremiah's day was during a moment in reality of spiritual reform. It was during a moment of the revival of the word. The Bible tells us in the book of Jeremiah that Jeremiah was a prophet during the days of King Josiah who Josiah, a young king, after hearing the word of the Lord read from the book of the law that had been lost in the house of God upon hearing this, the Bible says that Josiah repented. He had the 
people repent over the areas in which they had failed God as a nation. And Josiah had it in his heart. We're going to make things right. We're, we're going we're to firm things back up where they've gotten loose. We're, we're going to tighten the nuts and the boats where they need to be tightened. And we're going to live honorably before the Lord. This is the same spiritual revival and time of reform that Jeremiah is prophesying to the same nation. That's not listening, not hearing, not, not, if you will, obeying. The Bible says in 2 Chronicles 34, I just got one point to make tonight, just one. 2 Chronicles 34 and 35 record that King Josiah heard in the reading of the law about this idea or about this feast, this Passover that Israel at one time had. How that feast called Passover was supposed to take place perpetually and annually every year it was to happen they were not to miss it but nobody according to his record since King Hezekiah had celebrated the Passover for hundreds of years nobody had celebrated Passover and so Josiah says we're going to make this right we're going to celebrate it this year we're going to get out the bells and the whistles the sacrifice, the pomp, the ceremony everything that's required we're going to do we're going to make things right and so he makes everything ready the sacrifices that are to be offered the ceremony that's supposed to go with it all the Levitical priesthood being where they need to be he's going to make things right for this year concerning the Passover they're going to go to the house of God they're going to celebrate they're going to worship they're going to sing their praises and it's in this procession of even them likely possibly even going to the house of God it's in this framework in this context that the first few verses of Jeremiah chapter 7 could easily be written. Note what the Bible says, and I'm going to read some verses to you. Jeremiah 7 and starting with verse number 1. The word that came to Jeremiah from the Lord saying, you got to understand, the words that's about ready to come is in the context and the framework of people going to the house of God for some type of festivity, perhaps Passover, since it hadn't been celebrated for years. He says, stand in the gate. This is the Lord to Jeremiah. Stand in the gate of the Lord's house. And proclaim there this word and say, Hear the word of the Lord, all ye of Judah, and enter in at these gates to worship the Lord. Thus saith the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, Amend your ways and your doings, and I will cause you to dwell in this place. Trust ye not in lying words, saying, the temple of the Lord, which was a common chant that they would say when they went to the temple. The temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord are these. He says, for if you thoroughly amend your ways and your doings, if you thoroughly execute judgment between a man and his neighbor, if you oppress not the stranger, the fatherless, the widow, and shed not innocent blood in this place, neither walk after other gods to hurt you, then... Will I cause you to dwell in this place in the land that I gave to your fathers forever and ever? Here is the scenario. Here is Josiah King. He wants to get everything right. Amen. And as he's doing all this still, the word of the Lord is coming very vehemently about amending their ways and making things right. Well, that's what we're trying to do, God. You know, we're, we're trying to make things right. Here we are in our procession and our celebration and ritual coming to the house of God. Look at verse 8. He says, Behold, ye trust in lying words that cannot profit. Note what verse 9. What is God doing? God is pulling back the blanket on the surface of the ritual. He's pulling back the blanket. 
In other words, God's saying, just because you come into the house of God with your sacrifices doesn't mean everything's well. He says, will ye still murder and commit adultery and swear falsely and burn incense into Baal and walk after other gods whom ye know not and come and stand before me in this house which is called by my name, and say, we are delivered to do all these abominations. Is this house which is called by my name become a den of robbers in your eyes? Behold, even I have seen it, saith the Lord. In other words, they're saying we're going to get the celebration of Passover back in. Josiah's instituting this. We're going to do this. But God still has a bone to pick. He says just because you got sacrifice and you reinstitute a Passover doesn't mean your heart's right. He says, you're coming here into the house of God. You're going to the temple, to the temple. And you've been doing all types of unthinkable things. And yet you enter God with your sacrifice as though it will cover up what your life's been before you got here. You're coming with your sacrifice and your worship as though everything you've done prior to getting to the house of God has not mattered. He says, you even come in here as though it's owed to you. In other words, as though you're permitted to have done the things that you've done before you got to God. God's house. He said, I'm asking you a question. Has my house become a den of robbers? In other words, has my house become a hiding place for the immoral? Has my house become the hiding place for the unlawful and the ill-mannered? This is a side note, but there is no scarier place or maybe even better place to try to hide when sin is in your life than in the house of God. Clap your hand, raise your hand. Frequent the prayer room five minutes before and hold all type of stuff still deep within your spirit. That is not proper in the eyes of God. Has it become a den of thieves? In other words, has my house become a hiding place for sinners? No, it needs to become a place of redemption for them. Everybody all right? I haven't missed my subject matter. I know what I'm talking about. This is crazy, Brother Gregory. Because when he says, is my house become a den of thieves, we understand real quickly that sounds like to a, a den of thieves, den of robbers. What, what? That's crazy because this very same passage of Jeremiah is the one that Jesus refers to in the New Testament Scripture. When he goes into the temple, he pushes out all the money changers. He's a little bit upset. And he says in Matthew 21, verse 13, and he said to them, it is written, my house shall be called the house of prayer, but ye have made it a den of thieves. Just follow here the tracking of this peculiar mind up here tonight. So they made it a den of robbers or a den of thieves, but it should be called, according to Christ, a house of prayer, Yet God tells Jeremiah in the context of all this in Jeremiah 7, don't pray for them. It causes a person kind of do one of these numbers. You wanted the house of prayer. They made a den of thieves, but you're telling Jeremiah not to pray. God, what do you want? Right? feel like talking out both sides of your mouth here. What in the world do you want? 
The word of the Lord, look now just a little further in Jeremiah 7. The word of the Lord comes to these nations that are not listening, that are not obedient to the Lord. In verse 13 and verse 15, and he basically speaks to them. He said, I spoke to you, but you heard me not. He said, I called to you, but you did not answer me. He says, I'm going to cast you out of my sight. And by the way, then in the verse that I read to you, Jeremiah, don't pray for him. Someone say amen. Now, if you just casually come up on this passage of Scripture and you read, don't pray for them coming from the mouth of God. If you read that in the context of everything and you're thinking, you know what, God's, God's just saying that he's had it. I can't stand them. I'm going to get rid of them. It's over for them. That's all that you believe God is saying when he tells Jeremiah not to pray for them, then you've missed it. God is requesting Jeremiah not to pray. Him requesting that has more to do with the power of prayer and the mercy of God than it has to do with the anger and the judgment of God. Oh, just watch here for a moment. Because God, leading up to this moment, he has definitely been long-suffering. God, leading up to this moment, has definitely been patient. He's definitely brought to the nations multiple chances for making things right. And so God has come to a moment, chance after chance, grace after grace, that the only thing left, if you will, on the schedule was judgment. That's what they should have gotten. That should be what is coming. But God knows that prayer has the ability to delay judgment. And that the way that prayer delays judgment, amen, the power of prayer is that it appeals to a God that is merciful. So whenever God is talking to Jeremiah, he says, we're at a stage. This nation needs judgment. That's what, that's the only thing left. Amen. In the basket for them, they need judgment. And he's telling Jeremiah not to pray, not because his anger and hate is just so overwhelming, but he knows the power in prayer. Jeremiah, if you start uttering a prayer to me, me being the character that I am, a merciful God, a gracious God, if you open your mouth, I might give them another day. I might give them another week I might give them another year that was more about God knowing the power that's in prayer than the anger and the vengeance that he wanted to strike on a people God knew his own tendency concerning his mercy Jeremiah, don't pray for them. Because if you do, I might change my mind. If you do, I might put grace on more grace. Folks, what that should illustrate for us is the power that's really invested in prayer. That you could bend the ear of a God 
that could delay judgment for one more day because you opened your voice and you uttered some saying and you poured out your soul and your heart to God. Were they deserving of the disaster that should have been coming to them? Yeah, but God says, Jeremiah, if you say something to me about it, I just might hold back all the destruction for one more moment. Thank God for the power in prayer. There's some of us that even wouldn't be sitting where we're sitting if it weren't for the power of prayer that bent the ear of a merciful God. Yes. God told Jeremiah, look what he says. He says, don't don't you pray for him? Don't you cry? Lift up a cry for him? Don't you intercede for him? He says, I will not hear thee. I looked up the word here in the Hebrew, Sister Sheila. The word here, there means to hear with attention or give heed. As a matter of fact, a lot of the other translations have it, I will not listen to thee. In other words, watch me right here. It's not so much that God wouldn't hear, but that he would try not to listen or pay too much attention to the prayer because he knows how powerful prayer is in the ears of a God that already has a tendency been toward being merciful. Look at Jeremiah chapter 4 and verse 16. Speaking that we have a high priest that cannot be, that, that cannot be touched, that will that is touched basically with the feelings of our infirmities. The Bible tells us in Hebrews 4, 16, let us therefore come boldly then. Let us come boldly unto the throne of grace. That's a descriptive phrase about prayer. Why? That we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. God says when they boldly approach my throne, they're doing it for the purpose of obtaining mercy. And mercy might just be a day delay in your judgment. Someone say amen. Why would the Lord do this? Let's survey, if you will, a little scripture. You think I'm an idiot? I'm not totally idiot. I might be crazy, but I'm not an idiot. Two men along with the Lord... Abraham couldn't decipher between the three of them until a little later. They had a visitation of three. They stopped by Abraham's place on their way to destroy Sodom and Gomorrah. The Lord shared with Abraham because he considered Abraham a friend, someone he could trust and confide in. He shared with Abraham what his intentions were for Sodom and Gomorrah. Utter destruction. Fire and brimstone upon the city. And so the Lord shared with Abraham his intentions, the fate, if you will, of Sodom and Gomorrah. But the Bible says as the two other men started to leave and turned to go, angelic beings of some means, turned to go to, so- to go to Sodom and Gomorrah to do their business of destruction upon Sodom and Gomorrah, the Bible says Abraham stood yet before the Lord. <laughs> They're going to do the business, but Abraham stands there, and so as he's standing there, the Lord stands there because Abraham's still standing there. And Abraham intercedes for the righteous that's in the city. Lord, if there's 50, would you save the city for 50? Well, I say if there's 50, I do. For 45, we have the, the, the auctioneer going down rather than up. 45? Yeah, I do. He thought, well, I got by with five. I'll, I'll see if I can go five more. 40? Yeah, yeah. Oh, this is good. I got by five two times. How about 30? He skips 10 now. He's interceding for the righteous. If I say like this, he's praying in their stead. 
How about 30? He goes down to 20. How about 10? What is happening to Abraham was in a session of really what was prayer that he might obtain mercy for the righteous that was in the city, namely for his nephew Lot and his family. And the Bible, we understand according to Scripture that evidently the prayer allured and appealed to a merciful God. And not if even just for a moment of while the Lord was standing there, it delayed judgment, but it spared the house of Lot, amen, and his wife and those two daughters of him. Why? Because a man went interceded for people, amen, and God says they deserve judgment. They should... That's the next thing on the list. But if a man opens his mouth, I bend myself in mercy. Someone say amen. Exodus 32. Moses on the top of the mountain. Getting the laws of the Lord. Aaron and the children of Israel at the base of the mountain. They're below there. They're using their idle time in a very negative way. They build a golden calf. They begin to worship around it. God, read the scripture, was furious. Amen. Numbers 14 mirrors the same story of Exodus 32 of the building of the golden calf. But it gives us some details about the same frame of time. The Bible says that Israel was provoking the Lord during this time. That they spoke about, you know what, why don't we return to Egypt? He just got them out of Egypt. So why don't we return to Egypt? Because it had been better to die in Egypt than die in the wilderness. For that matter, it might even be better just to die right here in the wilderness and so we wouldn't have to go on with all this mess. And so they are provoking the Lord. And the Bible plainly tells us, both in Numbers and in Exodus, that the Lord wanted to smite them with pestilence. The Lord, this is the words of the Scripture, wanted to disinherit them. He even told Moses, he said, Moses, let me just wipe them all out and I'll make another nation from you as I made from Abraham. We'll just start over. Notice what God says to Moses in Exodus 32, verses 9 and 10. And the Lord said unto Moses, I've seen this people, and behold, it is a stiff-necked people. Look now, 10. Now, therefore, the Lord speaking to Moses, let me alone. (laughs) Moses, don't bother me. Moses, don't beseech me. Moses, don't pray to me about this. (laughs) That my wrath may wax hot against them. Again, it's according, if you were looking through this positive negative eyes, this isn't as much about God's anger and wrath as it is about the power in prayer. And in verse 11, the Bible says that Moses besought the Lord his God. In Numbers 14, it says it quite easily like this, that Moses prayed for a pardon for the people. And you know what verse 20 says of Numbers 14? The Lord pardoned according to Moses' word. Or in other words, according to Moses' prayer. Because Moses made a prayer. God says, you kind of got me right here. My mercies are new every morning. You kind of got me right here. I'll pardon them according to your prayer. Do you wonder? I'll pardon them according to your prayer. That's the power of prayer. 
that if a person would pray, it would get the attention of a God who is already merciful. God spared, in essence, Nineveh in the book of Jonah because they humbled themselves and they fasted and they repented, calling upon the Lord from the king fasting all the way down to the beast fasting. They called upon the name of the Lord. Jonah, the prophet that went to them, he's sitting out there under his gourd just waiting for it all to happen, and he's having a mad fit. Trust God. Call me to go to there and deliver a message of destruction, hell, and damnation. I ran away, tried to get from all this to begin with, and he had a fish come and spit me up on the ground. So I went, and I delivered my message sternly and told them they need to do this and that, and bless God, he's going to destroy them and bring, ah! And he sits on the hill and nothing's taking place. And he's disgusted that God isn't showing his anger. That God isn't showing his displeasure. And he sums it up like this that he knew all too well. Lord, that's the reason why I ran away in the first place. Because I knew the type of man, I knew the type of, I knew the type of God that you are. That thou art a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger and of great kindness. And you would repent of the evil of these people that you had in your heart for these people. If Nineveh hadn't prayed and sought God, she had been destroyed in the moment. Had Israel, had Moses not petitioned heaven for Israel, he would have disinherited them all and started over with Moses. Had Abraham not stood still in the presence of God while the two left to go start the destruction and had the interceding session with God, probably Lot and that family would not have made it out. But because somebody opened their mouth in prayer, God says, I'll delay judgment for them by being merciful to them a day, a week, another hour, or a year because he's a merciful I don't pray because they deserve judgment. But if you open your mouth, you're going to pull the heartstring of mercy that's on me. Amen. I'm coming to a close. You can stand with me. <laughs> Puts all things in perspective. When we come to Lamentations then. So you can read Jeremiah about God telling him not to pray. You can read that with a negative influence. But I read it with a positive influence. God understood the power that was in prayer. Comes all in perspective then in the book of Lamentations. Which again, Jeremiah has, has pinned and has influence with. In there, you don't just have the lamentation of a nation that looks over their shoulder and said, you know what, we should have done differently because they did go to captivity. They were taken in bondage. The things that the prophet, the man of God said would happen, they happened regardless of how many soothsayers were out there. It's not going to happen. Everything's well. Hallelujah. Blab it. Grab it. Boo, boo, boo. They had plenty of prophets in that hour that was telling them what they wanted to hear. Everything's going to be okay. It's okay. God turns his head and all this stuff. 
And God may be merciful. Mercy is just when you don't get what you deserve. That doesn't mean what you deserve hasn't went away. It just means it may be in delay. Jeremiah, in the book of Lamentations, the nation is lamenting. But Jeremiah got his own lamentation because you know what? God told him to stay there in the middle of all that mess. God told him to preach regardless. Told him to keep it up. And he feels a little forsaken himself. He knows he skinned his knees on the rock wall of the dungeon that they slid him down inside of. Mire has been between his toes in that well that could hold no water and, and he's had some hardships and he's been criticized and he's been ostracized by other people in the community and, and his flesh and his skin, he, he's become old and decrepit by the circumstances, saying everything that God's told him to say but seeing no results. And he's talking about the woe and the bitterness of his, of his spirit and being broken down on every side. He's talking about his strength being all gone. Feeling as though he would perish. About his affliction and his misery. And then he says in verse 21. This I recall to my mind. Therefore I have hope. It is of the Lord's mercies. That we are not consumed. Because his compassions. Fail not. He says in verse 25, the Lord is good, or if you will, merciful unto them that wait for him, to the soul that seeketh him. You know what brought consolation to Jeremiah in that moment? I believe his mind went all the way back to chapter 7 when the Lord told that man, don't pray because the Lord understood the power of prayer and mercy that comes when we talk to God, even about a very horrific people. Or circumstance it brought it brought assurance to Jeremiah in his own moment of feeling forgotten disowned abandoned by everything he's like hold on wait a minute I remember something it's because of his mercies we are not consumed it's because of his mercies we are not consumed and a way to tap into his mercies is to seek his face Perhaps it won't all fall apart right here for me because it's because of his mercies. We're not consumed. And my venue to his mercy is through me seeking his face. There's power in prayer. I challenge us tonight, find yourself an old prayer closet. Even things that look dismal, amen, as it were for the children of Israel and other things. Who knows if a prayer may not enact the mercy of God. That may, if you will, prolong, if you will, cause a pause from destruction from coming. Or like in some of these instances, the Lord just say, you know what? I'm going to give them another chance altogether. Because of his mercies, we are not consumed. And the venue to the mercy of God is through your prayer. I know it seems odd. For God to say not to pray. But in that, he was trying to reveal the power of prayer. But let's turn this around. How many times have your adversary told you not to pray? Made it difficult, quote unquote. 
lost time in the day. All that is, all that's doing when we escape from the time of prayer is losing touch with the mercy of God. Because by His mercies, we are not consumed. If we embow our heads in this place, there is power in prayer. Power in prayer. Hallelujah. Oh, it should have been this, it should have been that. Oh, but then somebody prayed. This should have happened or that should have taken place. Oh, but then somebody prayed. Hallelujah. Who knows how many times we have been nothing more but the product of the mercy of God. That the circumstances that did happen rather than what should have happened have been nothing more but a mercy of God that was tapped into by somebody beseeching the Lord on their face. Crying out to God being sitting in a seat. It matters not. The fact is this. They prayed. They prayed. They prayed. They prayed. These altars are open tonight. If anybody would just decide, you know what? I'm going to get back in touch with that place of prayer. I'm going to, if I got to sit, I'm going to sit. If I need to lay on my back, I'm going to lay on my back. Get on my side as Hezekiah did with his face against the wall and cried. Then I'm going to do that. But what I'm going to do, whether it's long or whether it's short or whether it's in a dialogue here and there throughout the day running through my mind, I'm going to utter a prayer. I'm going to utter a prayer because the Lord even unveils the power of prayer when judgment was coming he asked a man of God don't pray because he knew if he would that there's a possibility of mercy that could come up on those people my God that's enough to excite me that's enough if you will to encourage me to go to that old altar one more time bend down on knee raise hands and raise voice and make a petition to the Lord of glory hallelujah in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving make my request known unto God God, hallelujah, first with supplication and prayers to pray for governing bodies, yes, but all men to pray for them. You got a circumstance tonight that you cannot change. You need to take it to Jesus. Let your request be made known before God. Pull the heartstrings of a merciful God. Pull the heartstrings of a gracious God. And let's just see what might happen. Let's just see what might happen. It's because of His mercies that we're not consumed. And we get access more so to those mercies through prayer. Will someone utter a prayer in this place before you leave this building tonight? Will somebody talk to God right now in this place? Yeah. Thank you for listening. If you would like more information about our services and activities, you can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter with the username FACMC. Again, that's FACMC. Thank you and have a blessed day.